Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. I would like to live and enjoy freedom and then respect human rights like other countries do. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past and present as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. This week on the program, we speak with Tasneem Rock and Chu, campaign managers for the Myanmar Campaign Network, a national coalition of aid organisations, unions, human rights groups, faith-based groups and Myanmar diaspora organisations under the auspices of Union Aid Abroad, AFIDA. Tasneem and Chu speak about what has been happening in Myanmar, the situation for political prisoners and the ongoing civil disobedience movement, as well as the Myanmar Campaign Network's call for targeted sanctions to cut off the flow of money to the military junta. The music you're hearing is a protest orchestra performing a ye chi bi, meaning important. They're playing on the street with the crowd as part of the Spring Revolution in 2021. This is Tasneem and Chu now. So my name is Chu. I'm from Myanmar, formerly Baba, and I was born in Monday. And then I have been in Australia. I have been in Australia for one year and two months. Thank you so much for joining us on the program today, Chu and Tasneem. Hi, I'm uh, I'm Tasneem Rock. I'm uh, one of the campaign managers for Myanmar Campaign Network, along with uh, my colleague Chu. I'm from a, a, a mixed background. So my father's actually from Myanmar. He's Karen uh, from Myanmar. My mum is from Scotland. Um, so prior to the coup, I was uh, mainly um, involved with community work in the Karen community. And obviously after the coup, um, uh, a lot of the Myanmar diaspora felt uh, driven to, you know, take action and uh, lobby and advocate for democracy and human rights in Myanmar. And uh, that's how... I've ended up here today. So uh, Myanmar Campaign Network, it's a national coalition. It formed following the coup in Myanmar. Um, it's made up of quite diverse organisations, so trade unions, NGOs, INGOs, some faith-based organisations and Myanmar diaspora organisations as well. So all working towards uh, supporting the people of Myanmar for federal democracy and human rights. To begin with, it would be great to get some background on the situation of what is taking place in Myanmar at the moment for listeners who may not be aware, familiar in terms of the 2021 coup and what has been taking place since then. So what happened in Myanmar? So in uh, 2020, the National League for Democracy uh, won in free and fair elections. Uh, They won a landslide victory. Uh, on the day that the new parliament was due to be sworn in, which was the 1st of February of 2021, uh, Min Online uh, staged a coup. Uh, he claimed that uh, the elections were unfair. He arrested the president. He arrested uh, state councillor Do Aung San Suu Kyi, um, lots of cabinet members, uh, and basically took control of the capital by force. After that, I think that he expected that it was going to be a quick coup. 
uh, and an easy kind of task to take over power. However, um, there was a, a widespread rejection of the coup and uh, lots of people took to the streets. And I think that started on the 3rd of February um, with the civil disobedience movement. That was started by civil servants, healthcare workers who protested. Uh, they refused to work under the military and they were joined by people from all walks of life. Chu, you were in Myanmar during the coup. Are you able to speak about what that experience was like? Yes. So after the coup at that time, I was in Yangon. Then after that, I moved back to my village because my villagers, they do not know what I was working. So in this case, I moved back and then stayed there. Then after that, uh, in my hometown, we haven't uh, started the demonstration yet, even though Irangu and other part of Myanmar have already started the demonstration. So in this case, uh, my friends and I, my husband, and we organized the demonstration uh, to pass away um, all of the crowded from our hometown. Then after that, we started the demonstration. After that, my friends and I, we founded a foundation um, to support the CDMRs, uh, the civil disobedience movement. So now we are still having more than 360 uh, CDMRs from one state and current states. So yeah, currently we are supporting them with um, providing the training because some of the CDMRs teachers, they would like to get the English language training. So we provide the English language training and then the livelihood training to start a small business. Then after that, we also supporting them with a mental health awareness or how to cope with stress and then the mental health well-being. So those kind of training we are still supporting, even though it is very difficult for me to Saturday here in Australia with the cool weather. <laughs> so, yeah, so those kind of things, uh, we are currently working for it. Um, yes, lots of the CDMRs, now it has been for three years. So they are still suffering a lot because they can travel freely like other people, especially the school teachers. So they they are very afraid, you know. Afraid or to go out, and then the government, uh, the military, they threaten them that you know they can be arrested anytime, so they can go back to their professions. So in this case, very, very for them to survive. And then even though we are supporting them, but we cannot reach every single one, and then we cannot support if get enough for them to survive. So in this case, they do really need our support and then our help, even though they are very professions in teaching. Some of them are doctors, nurses, but they can't go back and then they can work. And then none of the, the private companies are also happy to hire them because they are afraid of the, you know, to meet, uh, to face with the consequences. Yeah, so in this case, we also have to organize some of the CDMRs to, to relocate and then to move to other places. But some of the CDMRs, they cross the border and are working illegally in neighboring countries. That is a very big challenge for them as well. 
And then not only that, but also some of the CDMRs would like to work in abroad, but they can't renew or apply the new passport because some of the CDMRs lacks uh, not so far from my home. The, they applied the passport. They went to the passport office. Then after that, they have to run back because their names are already in the system, like a, a blended system. So they can apply any new passport. So that is the b- very big challenges for them. Then after the some of the CDMRs, the one that uh, we supported, and then he got arrested and then two years in prison. So those kind of like a challenge is still going on. And then, yeah, so this is, uh, they, the CDMRs, they play a very crucial role in order, you know, to end the military in Myanmar. So, yeah, it's very um, high high risk or high price for those who are resisting the military rule, questions around basic survival, freedom and housing. So you mentioned political prisoners too. So in addition to the really, I understand, ongoing violence in Myanmar around resistance to military rule, uh, either of you able to speak about what what is happening to people who are detained by, by the military? Currently, my friend, my best friend, she is very young, young and smart. And then she used to be an English teacher. Teacher. Then now she is currently in prison for 10 years. So they charge her with the um, criminal, criminal law or something like this. So, yeah, and then I normally write a letter to her every month. And then I write a letter and I take a picture. Then after that, her family members print it out and then send it to her. Then also, she also replied my letter. Then I also send a book to her. Like, um, I told my friend from Thailand and then to buy a book. Then after that, they send her from through the border and then to her hometown. Then after that, her family member pick it up and then, you know, send it to her. So those kind of things. She also wrote me back about the situation in a prison. Sometimes we have to tell her that do not write those kind of situation. If they found out that she might be putting lots of charges on that. And she also recently sent me a letter in English. Some of them are in English. So in this case, we both know what does she mean or something like this. On community radio around so-called Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. This week, we're speaking with Tasneem Rock and Chu, campaign managers from the Myanmar Campaign Network. You're listening to Chu speaking about the situation for political prisoners in Myanmar. And then not only that, some of my friends, now he is in Australia, and then he also went through the military interrogation centre for touching days. And then, so when I was in Myanmar, uh, we also tried to have, not only me, but also with my friends, and then we also tried to have to the detainees to find the lawyers and then the financial support to the detainees' family. So those kind of things we used to work, and then we, I had a lot about the series of human rights violations in prison, and then it seemed like becoming one of the winners of the, the report that EEPP made, yeah, it is exactly like uh, my friends are facing 
are in a prison. So, yeah, they are treated like not like a human. So in the prison, you, we had a lot about the sexual abuse, the rape case, sexual assault, and then the human, they have to do the humiliating tasks. So those kind of things is going on, and they didn't get enough food. And uh, my friends told me that they have to exchange food between the prisoners if they have the noodle pack and then they exchange with the coffee. And then so they have to have enough food. And then, and then in a prison, they have uh, the market, but it is very expensive. Three or four or five or ten times expensive than outside. So in this case, yeah, they didn't have enough food. And then the living condition is very bad. And then the room is also very crowded. So yeah, those kind of things that my best friend is facing. Not only that, but also some of the friends who were released from the prison also faced the same situation. That sounds incredibly difficult uh, for the people who have put, put themselves on the line in this way. Thanks for sharing, too. Sounds very hard personally as well um, for, your, for your friend and the people you're close to. Let's talk more about resistance to the military rule in Myanmar. So listeners may be familiar with the image of the three-finger salute. I think we saw um, pictures from Myanmar of people making that gesture of resistance. So can we talk about what some of that looks like and what some of the resistance taking place is in Myanmar at the moment? Well, certainly it, it did start with the civil disobedience movement. So those those civil servants like she said they're still striking today, often at great risk to their own uh, livelihoods and, and their, their lives as well. And the civil disobedience had actually had a massive impact uh, on the junta's ability to take power. So we're talking about civil servants in transport, in banking and finance, in, in trade, and also in the health sector as well. So that was uh, a massive impact. But joining them were, like I said, people from all walks of life. So students. Uh, also, um, I just wanted to mention that factory workers, so garment workers, um, played a really important part at the beginning of the coup uh, and uh, in um, rallying uh, those workers to, to join the civil disobedience movement. And this is millions of people all across the country that were taking part and are still uh, taking part today. I would say that the youth um, plays a really important part in the spring revolution and in the resistance in the pro-democracy movement because, you know, they have spent a good portion of their lives experiencing democracy and they're not willing to go, you know, back to an authoritarian or totalitarian rule. So I think I think we're looking at resistance in like a lot of different ways. So because it is all across the country, you've got uh, resistance like at a local level. And then you also have resistance in the form of the legitimate government as well, the legitimate interim institutions that popped up after the coup. And so they're made up of some of the uh, cabinet members who escaped and then those cabinet members, the CRPH, which is the committee representing Pyodonsu Flutor, which is the, the, the two houses of parliament, they formed the, the national unity government and that's a group of very diverse uh, members from different ethnic nationalities and also members of the civil disobedience movement and other youth and women's groups as well. 
And one of the Myanmar campaign networks asks that the Australian government is to recognise the national unity government. Um, perhaps now is a good time to talk about what the campaign network is asking for. So in terms of an international response to the situation in Myanmar, I understand that targeted sanctions are one of the things that the network is asking for in this situation. Can you talk about why they might be useful? So when the when the junta took control of those governmental structures early on in the coup, they also took control of the state-owned enterprises. So those state-owned enterprises are in lots of different sectors, for example, oil and gas, uh, also in mining, timber, gems, banking, uh, and they're supposed to earn money for the country of Myanmar and the people of Myanmar, but now the junta has control over all of those bank accounts. And those sectors, particularly in natural resources, funnel billions of dollars uh, effectively into the Hunter's hands. And so what the National Unity Government and the people of Myanmar are asking is for international assistance to cut off the flow of foreign revenue, which is why targeted sanctions are so important. Early this year, Australia did sanction two of the huge military conglomerates, uh, Myanmar Economic Holdings uh, Limited and also Myanmar Economic Corporation. And these are military-owned conglomerates. They have lots of different businesses and subsidiaries in everything from hospitality to uh, communications, mining, this kind of thing. So it was really important to uh, sanction those two military conglomerates. But all of the state-owned enterprises, which Australia hasn't sanctioned, are also linked to those military conglomerates. So we're, we're asking for Australian sanctions on those state-owned enterprises to cut off foreign revenue and also to stop Australians and Australian businesses from transacting with them. There is an investigation into Australian individuals who are still interested in the mining sector. And as you heard last night in our, um, in our briefing, there has been an increase in the import of illegal timber from Myanmar since the coup as well. So it's about, you know, uh, businesses acting responsibly and the Australian government doing everything they can. And uh, in the briefing last night, you also spoke about the impact of personal targeted sanctions, so on, for example, relatives of significant military figures and things like that. Could you speak a bit around that? So in early uh, this year, in February, um, Australia also sanctioned 16 individuals, including um, men online. However, you know, the, our democratic allies have sanctioned a vast number. I think it's like 180 individuals, whereas we've only sanctioned, I guess, 21 now, including the 2018 sanctions. Um, there's a lot of high-ranking military officials, members of the Union Election Commission that have been instated by Men Online, you know, people who are facilitating the trade of weapons and arms that w- we can be targeting. And uh, we have been told by Professor Sean Turnell that these sanctions actually have a massive impact. At this point in time, there's no uh, restrictions on these individuals travelling into Australia, investing in Australia. You mentioned weapons. Um, Let's discuss that a little bit. So last night at the campaign briefing, you both spoke about how in terms of on-the-ground power, the military is struggling, and that is leading to a number of complex flow-on effects, for example, the use of fire as a weapon. Many people are having their homes and villages really damaged and destroyed, but also an increasing focus on air power. Can you speak about how that's functioning at the moment? 
On the ground, the junta has control of about 15 to 20% of the territory. It's really difficult for um, military outposts to be resupplied. And so because of the resistance and ethnic resistance organisations fighting back against the junta, they're relying more and more on uh, aerial strikes. They purchase their helicopter gunships and their jets, uh, mostly from China, Russia, and previously from Pakistan as well. And it's having a devastating effect on civilians because the bombings are indiscriminate and they're using, it's a scorched earth policy. They're trying to terrify and subdue civilians. And, uh, you know, they attack everything from, you know, internally displaced people's camps to villages in order to subdue the resistance. So it sounds like there are real practical things that Australia internationally could be doing. Can we talk about um, what listeners could maybe do uh, if they are concerned about this situation and want to find out more or offer their solidarity to the people of Myanmar resisting the military junta? In terms of in Australia, we will be having some actions that are coming up. We're supporting the uh, CRPH Energy Support Group uh, in Australia. They're going to have a, an APH petition in the next month or so. So we'd really encourage everyone to sign up to our newsletter because we'll be letting everyone know when to take action on that. And you can sign up at our website, which is MyanmarCampaignNetwork.org. Um yeah, and we really encourage people to uh, keep Myanmar and Myanmar issues in the conversation, to talk about it with your friends and family. If you do have the opportunity to be speaking to your representatives, either federal representatives or state representatives, to raise Myanmar issues there. One thing that has been a thread in this conversation is Myanmar has had yeah a very complicated history um, as a post-colonial nation from British rule and a really turbulent journey towards democracy away from military rule. And what do you both feel around the hope in this situation um, or the, the possibility for change? What, what do you see happening going forward for Myanmar? So for me as a young lady, oh, <laughs> I'm not sure. So, yeah, we would like to live and enjoy freedom and then respect human rights like other countries do. So in this case, we, if there is no military control, 100%, I think we will be in a road to democracy because even though we used to have the election about 25% of the military state, they, they took the seats from the parliament. So in this case, we're not like a 100% um, democracy country. But uh, even though like um, in that situation, we, the people of Myanmar, have enjoyed a lot about and seen lots of differences with the civilian government and the, and the party rule and then the military. We have never ever had any kind of benefit from under the military rules because we do not have we do not have a good education system. We do not have a healthcare system. Even though our country is very rich in natural resources. Like uh you know, also most of the ASEAN countries businesses are also depending on our country. But why are we become very poor and then we are just all the people 
most of the people are living under poverty why because we didn't have our we still do not have a good government system so that's why uh, we want the free and fair and then a democracy i think the democracy is the only way for us to enjoy freedom and then respect our basic human rights yeah that's why we are fighting for to get a democracy yeah yeah i think i think this is a really amazing period in myanmar's history um although it's really devastating you know the the human casualties and the human rights abuses that have happened during the coup it has also given the opportunity for these new uh interim uh institutions to arise and it's quite phenomenal that all of these different diverse groups have come together uh to form the national unity government and also uh the national unity consultative council so you have um civil society women's groups youth groups ethnic groups all coming together and the fact that they've formed these institutions been able to form uh, a draft federal democracy charter and a draft interim constitution agreeing on all of these things like um minority rights gender equality with a priority on human rights it's like a vision for Myanmar that hasn't existed before and um they're all resolved to end the dictatorship and also to create a federal democratic union so it's a really hopeful part of Myanmar's history that was Tasneem Rock and Chu, campaign managers for the Myanmar Campaign Network, a national coalition of aid organisations, unions, human rights groups, faith-based groups and Myanmar diaspora organisations, speaking about the current situation in Myanmar. For more information, you can visit myanmarcampaignnetwork.org. More information on the situation for political prisoners in Myanmar can also be found in the recent report, The Flow of Injustice, by the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, found at AAPPB, that's polo, polo, bravo, dot org. To finish the program today, we'll hear the rest of the revolutionary song, Ayejib, meaning important. that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people. This program was produced in Nam, Melbourne, with the amazing support of 3CR staff. A big thank you to them. Women on the Line is broadcast across so-called Australia on the community radio network and we greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. If you'd like more information about today's program or to listen to the show again, you can find what you need on the Women on the Line website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Guevara. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time.